My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. So you've come out of the closet, you've stepped into your career, you've been doing life the way you want it, and then you move to La La Land. Yes, you move to L.A. and you continue to do what you want to do. Everything from musical comedy to writing books to, oh, wait, then this thing COVID hits. Now what the fuck are you going to do with yourself? Well, you're going to write a book. And what I love about this author who's joining me today, he is a gay man and he has found his passion. He's found his purpose. And he's found this love of writing books. And his new book is called Uncle Bill's Animal Tales, Life Lessons for Adults. And the reason I'm bringing him on to talk to us, 40 plus guys, because we all could use a little culture in our lives, is really about how he found his pathway to what he loves to do and why he loves doing it. And also to talk about his new book. So his name is Bill Robertson. He's a fellow Californian. I gotta love that. And I'm really excited to say welcome to the podcast, Bill. And thanks for being willing to come and join me and talk about your 40 plus life, man. So I'm so, so happy to be here, Rick. It's great to oh. meet you. I love the name of the book, number one. I'm gonna dump, jump on the book for a moment here. Just Uncle Bill's Animal Tells Life Lessons for Adults. I can't wait to like really dig in this with you. <laughs> but I mean, it was written during the pandemic, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, Good way to keep ourselves busy, isn't it? Well, my backyard kind of turned into Wild Kingdom. So it was there was something happening out there. There were hawks uh, and squirrels and, you know, just the, there was so much going on. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I actually um, my husband and I were on a cruise right before they shut down all the cruise lines, like literally a week and a half after we got back from our cruise. That's when everything shut down with the cruise lines and people were stranded on ships and everything. And it was on that cruise that I outlined um, my second book. And then I thought, I'm going to have all the time in the world to do this. And then some interesting things happened with the company that I'm lead coach for. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to have time. So here we are three years later. I'm finally like, okay, I think I'm ready to like get this book out in a book proposal and everything. Mm. But so what was, you know, the thing that kind of got you to this place? You've done musical comedy. You've done scripts for Lifetime. What got you here? Was that like what you studied? Or were you just like, I'm going to be a creative and fuck it, I'm just going to go do what I do? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I wrote my first uh, play in the third grade. And uh, and I had always been writing. And then I get into corporate America. And, you know, after graduating college and was making money and just I felt like there was something missing. And I had done theater in, you know, in school and whatever. So I volunteered because I had been a bartender in college. I volunteered as a bartender at an outdoor theater in Boston called the Public Theater, which is on the Charles River. And I figured if I'm their bartender for the for all of these productions, I'm going to meet a lot of people. Right. And the next thing you know is I, you know, I ended up palling around with the artistic director in the next season. I was the assistant director. So that was kind of the that was kind of the jumping point for me wanting to be involved more in creative work. 
And for right. a long time, I worked two careers. People would mm. say to me, what's your A job? And I'd say, as a writer, as a producer, and what's your B job? Well, I was working as a corporate recruiter, and I had to look at it that my B job was supporting my A job till my yep. A job supported me. Mm. And um, I got clean and sober, um, actually, uh, 26 years ago yesterday. Wow. Uh, April 18th, 97. And I had been running a sketch comedy show out of New York and Boston called Heavily Medicated Fairy Tales. Mm. And it was like a Monty Python. And we were at the duplex in the village and stand up New York and catch a rising yeah, yeah. star and all that. And, and so I could write sketch comedy, but I really wanted to write a feature film. Mm. But I didn't have the focus to do it, you right. know, because even though I was running a big job, um, that, that was just a different thing. But when I'm being creative and going to write, really have to be able to focus, have to be able to, you know, allow th those creative juices to flow. And then yep. that's when I wrote my first screenplay. And then it just kind of catapulted from there into, um, you know, picking up an agent and the agent said to me, and I was 40 years old living in Boston, Bill, you have to be in LA. So I moved to LA and it's, it's just, it's one of those things. It's just a part of me. I don't know what else I would do. I have to just keep writing and um, I love the process. Uh, well, not always as Dorothy not Parker. Always, yeah. yeah. Like what was the Dorothy <laughs> Parker comment that she made? It was something like, uh, you know, the old writer from um, obviously from the twenties who said, um, I hate writing, but I love to have written. And, uh, you know, so then it led to the book and it was, it literally came from over COVID. There were a lot of articles in the paper and, and different people talking about how animals were kind of coming closer to humans. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a million stories around, you know, wild animals and domestic of how they've come into my life at different times and for different reasons. And after I got sober, I was able to understand why they were coming in, that there was right. like a, you know, a sign of some sort. So a friend of mine said, Bill, you know, you should write a book. And, uh, and I went, okay. And that was kind of, so I just started <laughs> outlining it and all these stories just kept coming to me. And then I thought, you know, I don't want to write a children's book, but my nickname growing up was Uncle Bill because I kind of grew up with a gang of guys and they were always trying to break into homes and do different mm -hmm. things. And I'd try and stop them or I'd say, you really don't want to do that. And one guy said one day, oh, shut up. You're such an Uncle Bill. <laughs> and I went, what? Okay. And then I went to college and this woman that I used to get high with said to me, Uncle Bill, you want to get high? This, you know, smoking pot. Right, right, right. And I, and I went, how did you know that? Got into corporate America. Somebody called me that. One of my neighbors called me that not too long ago. And most of my friends don't call me that. But I right. thought, oh, that could be an interesting series. Because the next book is called Uncle Bill Can't Drink Anymore. Thank God. <laughs> so that's how it kind of came about. Interesting. How much of you being gay do you think has helped you in your creativity? Because people ask me that question all the time. I'm like, well, okay. it, I just happen to be gay. But I also know that when I finally freed myself to be my truth, a lot of other stuff got freed up to go, just be this. Like these podcast, this podcast and my other one, 
I would have never seen myself doing something like this because I was too closed up. I was like, I got to protect myself. Now I'm like, fuck it. (laughs) Here's what you get. This is what you get when Rick's like lit up. And, you know, and then of course I get off these podcasts and friends are like, you never like that when you're around us. I'm like, well, because you're boring, bitches. That's just, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But how much do you think it has had an impact in your creativity? Huge, huge impact. Um, For my gay brothers and sisters who are still in the closet, um, there's nothing more empowering than being authentic to who you are. Mm, When I came out, oh my God, my whole life changed. It just Mm. did. Um, Even in corporate America, I was a headhunter for a while. I doubled my sales the month I came out. So it, it was allowing myself to be me. When I first came out back in 1984, I was taken to a barbecue and there were about 20 people there I didn't know. And a friend of mine brought me there and everybody stopped what they were doing and came over to say hello to me. And it was a big mix of gay men and and lesbians and black and white and old and young. And a guy who was kind of a patriarch of our group at the time said, Bill, being gay is not just about who you sleep with. Being gay is about being compassionate and loving to everyone who you meet. That's what being gay is. And I went, oh, I can, I I like that. I'd like to be part of that, you know? But it really was, it was about not being judgmental of other people. That's the definition of being gay to him. And I could identify with that. So I think as a writer, you know, I got to meet Terrence McNally you know, the gay, the gay playwright who wrote, you know, Love, Valor, Compassion and millions of other things. And he said, I heard him speak. I don't know if I agree with it hundred percent, but he was like, the only people who can write for women are either women or gay men. And um, I remember Alfred Molina, who's straight was in the audience and he could not stop laughing, but they had like a lot of writers there from modern family. And I just think there's a certain sense ability nothing against you know good creative people right but i do think it's helped a lot um and it's funny because when i get hired to write things my agent will even slip it in he's gay by the way you know (laughs) like here here's the last credential like you know and he's gay so here's his gay card to prove it too yeah because you know it's it is interesting and I find when I've had conversations like this and then I start to talk through it, it's like, it's just, it taps another piece of who I am. Yes. I've always, it's always been there, but it it like, and, and to your story about freedom and showing up at that barbecue and everything, I, it took me years, even after coming out, because I didn't come out till I was 36. It took me years to start to unlock and release and like, be more of who I am. And of course, now I'm a man of a certain age. I'm like, I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> you don't like me. That's okay. Yep. You know, that's all right with me. I, I would like you. I want to be as compassionate as I can towards others because this is one of the things I think our community sometimes doesn't do a very good job of. We're like, we, you want to, you need to accept us. We need to, and then we don't accept other people for who they are. Now, granted, there's some extremists that I will never accept because you're just, you're just nasty. But I find that when we can have that compassion and we open it up, it's really great. But I don't know that I could have gotten there, Bill, if I hadn't started to lean fully into who Rick is as a gay man and what gay means for me so that I could see what other people and being gay means for them. I mean, when I first 
was out of the closet. I didn't, I didn't understand the leather community. I didn't understand the BDSM community. I didn't understand, you know, sisters of perpetual indulgence. I mean, yeah. I was like, Oh my God, what, what did I, I have to do this to be gay. I, I don't think so. Yeah. Now I'm just like, I totally get it. I, it's like, it's like, it's a freedom. In fact, one of the people I interviewed for life uncloseted a while back, his name's Colby Martin. He's a pastor really cool guy he wrote had a book called unclobbered where he really clobbers the christian belief system of wait you got this all wrong about gays right <clears throat> and he told the story about being at san diego pride the first time his church marched in san diego pride and he goes i'm standing there with my wife and we're just looking at all these people who are just they're just free they're yes. just free yes you know, and I think this is the thing as we age and, you know, a lot of the guys that listen to this, they come because it's 40 plus, right? I often invite them to think back to if you're stuck and you're not happy and you can't find your passion or your purpose or you can't find that guy, you lost your freedom. You've lost your freedom. You put yourself in some other kind of closet right now that is holding you back. And I love that you have continued to tap that creativity, not put it in the closet, not let it hide yourself. Because that's what I believe is probably giving you some of the freedom to continue to be as creative as you are. You're never going to put it in the closet. No, and there's no age limit on writing a book or writing a screenplay or a play. Um, there really isn't. And people will sometimes, you know, I just feel like, why not live in possibility thinking? compared to, well, I'm too old, or I can't do that, or whatever. Louise Hay wrote a book called um, You Can Heal Your Life. Yep. She was 60 years old. She was broke. And now the Hay House is one of the biggest publishing firms in yep. the spiritual community. Exactly. Um, I got a chance to meet Louise years ago. You know, living in LA, you get a chance to meet a lot of people. And, right, uh, right. You know, and I'll just never, you know, it, I, and I could name you a whole list mm -hmm. of people who didn't really, really didn't really even hit their, you know, their true identity until yep. they were 60. There's an old saying in, in, in the writing community, or at least in the comedy community, you're not even funny till you're 40. Right. You know, and, uh, and I get that. And, um, but, you know, of course, you, you can be funny before that. But I just thought it was a, a great, um, mm -hmm. a great comment because we need more life experiences. Yep. You know, yep. Well, but one thing I do, like even in the book, I wrote the book where it has life lessons because animals, I feel, are our greatest healers and teachers. So if you're feeling that you don't have a purpose and you're feeling stuck, you can always turn to the animal kingdom to be of service, to help, to really learn from how compassionate and, and unconditional loving a lot of them are. Or wild animals are caught in the cycle of nature, you know, and they just understand. Half, I mean, think about it. Everything's about showing up. I tell people all the time, I'm on a lot of um, different groups regarding writing and finding our purpose and people, you know, are really allowing themselves to become vulnerable yeah. because when you put pen to paper, something happens exactly it really does and you get a chance to share that inner voice with other people and um you know and and it's funny because i love this part there's no such thing as writing there's only rewriting 
I mean, yep. you know that as an author, exactly. it's all about rewriting. I, yeah. And you go through and you look at it again and you look at, I mean, ironically, this morning I was working on something, you know, for I'm, I'm creating, I'm creating some courses for the company that I work for. And I had put the first batch out and put it in front of my team and said, okay, coaches, here's what it looks like we're going to work through. And then, you know, I put it out last night when I went to bed. And then of course, a lot of my team's East coast central times on all that. So they had some time to feedback. And of course I wake up this morning. I'm like, wait, I forgot to put this. I mean, it was just another rework and it's just, I I'm, I'm not going to say I'm never satisfied, but I mean, my current book that I'm getting ready to start, hopefully pitching soon, I would say at this stage, it's been three rewrites so far because it got started and then I kind of stopped and then I picked up again. Well, you know, as a writer, when you do that, like big gaps of start, restart, suddenly there's almost like a different voice that can show up. And that's exactly what happened. I had a completely different voice showing up for the last half of the book than the first half. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this doesn't, it, there's, it's not tying together. So went through it and got the voice all correct. And then I'm like, well, this is sounding kind of boring. It's not like, and it wasn't because I was imposter syndrome. I mean, I'm like, I'm pretty good at like not being in that space with this sort of stuff. But I knew that to get it to where I want to get it to where I feel like I could show it to anybody, I was rewriting. And I think most of us, if we really look at our lives, every day we're rewriting. You bet. And that's the yeah. beauty of being human, I think, is every day is another day to rewrite how we go and what we do and where we want to be. And um, I think that's where I see so many of my gay brothers fall down. Oh they don't God. feel like they have the power to rewrite their where they're going. And, you know, as I mentioned, I've been clean and sober for 26 years. And it, it, it literally was, you know, one day at a time. But I see so many um, of our gay brothers, young gay brothers coming into the rooms because mm -hmm. they're caught in in some type of spiral or negative thinking and they turn to drugs and alcohol to ease yep. the pain at that moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, if I, I can't share it enough, you know, pain pushes till the vision pulls. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like use the pain to your advantage to, you know, to go deeper into who you are. But a lot of times we just have to release. It just doesn't work anymore. You know, mm -hmm. getting high and drunk just doesn't solve our problems. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with having a drink if you can or smoking right, right. a joint or whatever is your, you know, whatever is your gig. But if you're feeling all that pain about something to do with your sexuality, there's so many of us out there that are willing to talk, are willing yeah. to help, willing to well, guide. That, yeah. And that's part of the reason I do these podcasts. Exactly. Like I want to have these conversations like you're not alone, number one. Yeah. And number two, I want to bring lots of different perspectives. You know, I I have been through the addiction journey with a family member and it, actually with two at this point. And I learned so much about myself. Yeah. I learned how to see myself in that space. And I was close to that space. I would say when I was hiding in the closet, uh, probably right 34, 35, right before I came out, I was... I was doing my fair share of drinking. Yep. I knew how to handle it, but I I was doing a good share of it. And I was a big guy. I mean, I'm a still a big guy, but I mean, I was a big guy then. And it was all to hide everything. That's what it was all about. It was, yep. as you say, I was hiding the pain. I was hiding that pain because that was the easiest way to get through, quote, life, so to speak. Yeah. Until I realized that's not living. 
That is absolutely no. not living. And it's interesting now because I'm 59, going to be 60 in just a few months that through some different things and people know I've had a couple of strokes and everything that I still enjoy all my stuff. I enjoy wine. I enjoy, I don't enjoy cocktails as much. That's, that's been an interesting yeah. twist in the last year. I'm like, yeah, not the cocktails I can do maybe one, but two is like a max. Um, but I, I have found that I see it in a different light yes. and I don't feel deprived, you know? Yeah. And I, again, I'm not saying I don't drink, I drink, but I don't drink like I used to. I mean, I remember the days when hubby and I used to sit out on our patio and, you know, Friday evening, we'd do two bottles of wine or something like that. Sometimes three. Yeah. And now it's like, we're lucky if like he popped a bottle of wine open last night for dinner. And I'm like, okay, yeah, middle of the week, I guess. I'm not, I don't usually drink a lot during the week, but I'm like, yeah, I had a glass of wine with dinner. I'm like, cool, done, done. Bye. See ya. You know? And um, I just, I find that if we embrace what we can do yeah. and how we want to be in the world, which for so many guys over 40, we hit the walls. Career sucks. I need a relationship. I don't have a relationship. I have a relationship, but it's not working or I'm too fat. I'm too sad. I don't know. It all hits. There's something about this interesting place of when you hit forties for so many of us, everything kind of culminates, right? Yeah. But you can't move through it until you see the opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest piece. And I think that's what I see in what you've done, Bill, is you, you just continue to see the opportunities. It, it, it's, and I try to surround myself with people that think the same way. I think mm. being around like-mindedness is so important because there Amen. can be some people, oh God, think about how many people you've known in your life that just suck the energy right out of the room and right out of you, um, or they'll cling on to you. And, you know, you don't want to be mean, but sometimes you have to know those boundaries of, you know, I can keep you at arm's length, right? but, um, and they're out and there. The oh easiest way to the easiest way to some find someone who's going to suck the energy out of you. And and I'm going to probably get some hate mail as soon as I say what I'm about to say. But <laughs> if they if they say, "Oh my God, I'm just I'm so busy. I'm just I don't ever have." There's an energy suck right there, mm. because they are they are causing some of that a majority of that themselves. And I yes. learned that long ago, like anybody who constantly is like, I'm so busy. I just, I, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. So they're going to drag you into like, oh, and now you're going to be another reason that I'm not having time, or you're going to be my reason that now you, because I spent time with you, I now have, don't have time for this. And these are these little interesting signs, you know, anybody who causes drama. I mean, I work with so many gay men who are in relationship stuff and they're with a partner who is just drama, drama, drama. Ugh. It just, you know, and I know it's hard when it is a partner or a husband or a spouse, but you know what? You kind of could have seen it before you walked into it at times. I'm not going to say all the time, but find those pathways to go. What is possible? Where can I find the opportunity in this stuff? And again, if I had, if somebody had said to me in 1999, when I finally said, okay, done, I am coming out of the closet. I can't live this double life anymore. That this would have become what I did. I would have said, fuck you. Yep. There's no way in hell. This is what I'm going to be doing. And I'm so, I feel you said before it came on, on the podcast, you know, it sounds like you have a really blessed life. I do feel like I do have a really blessed life. Same to you, because I think each of us has found our pathway to say, this is what's important. This is what I need to do. And I love the analogy you used about the job B supporting the job a, yeah. That was such a great analogy 
so many people go, well, I have to, you know, job A has got to get me to where I'm going with job B. Not a bad way to do it too, but so many people like, then they get stuck in, got to make the money, got to make the money, got to make the money to be oh. able to do this, right? You've been Versus, there. Versus, yeah. I'm going to put some effort here. And I, I have coached a lot of guys over the last couple of years, especially during, through pandemic, who are like, okay, something's got to give. If I, if I can't do this any longer, this sucks the way, you know, a lot of them discovered, oh, wow, working from home, that's actually pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, it is pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> you get, I'll, I think most of them get stuff done. I love the people who are like, oh, I could never work from home. I'd get distracted doing laundry stuff. I'm like, then just don't do that shit. <laughs> you just work, right? I look at laundry as like, laundry is my break. I get to like stand up. I get to move around. I get to go do something, right? Go take the pets out for a walk, whatever that thing is. But um, I think so many men, gay men that I've worked with, have discovered the beauty of putting passion first and letting the purpose of a job support the passion. We're not here that long. No. So why not? Why right. not? We have nothing to lose. Um, we really don't. And yeah, I mean, I've worked, I worked two jobs for a long time yeah. and it was because I had a passion for one mm -hmm. and the other one was paying me a lot of money, but I then hit a point you know, where it was like, okay, I'm going to focus on the passion. And the other thing, and this is just, this is how I do this. It comes down to my thought process. I have to check in with people. If my thought process is negative or is not in possibility thinking, um, or I've been caught up in someone else's drama, um, I do have a great spiritual posse that I can turn to, to go, does this sound right? Am I doing the... And they remind me because I can have spiritual amnesia. Yep. You know, I can definitely have amnesia around what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I heard someone say the other day, and, and I forgot the context, but it was something about you want to learn from people who have been there, have struggled, have fought the good fight compared to the person who's saying, Oh yeah, you know, I just do all these great things and this is what I do and yada 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 and you and you're like, "Well, where did you come from? How did this happen? How did you overcome those yeah. obstacles?" you know? And I'd much rather listen to somebody who's overcome something. Exactly. You know, because then I get it. I'm like, because we've all dealt with shit, you know? There's yeah. so much stuff that hits the fan. Um But to that point, even your book you know, yes. Uncle Bill's Animal Tales is about listening to the pecking order of life. Yes. You know, and I love that. Um, well, I'll let you kind of talk about the pecking order because there's like the whole Ghana thing, like why this all came about. But I think we don't listen to nature and I don't think we listen, quote, listen to animals enough. So take us a little bit into that um, yeah. about how you came to this realization in the book. You know, I, I just find that, you know, when you watch the news, it, it almost looks like human beings think that they own the planet and they don't. Human beings are sharing the planet with all of these animals and other creations. And I saw this um, this mystic from Ghana speak. Um, Maladoma Patrice Somme was his name. Um, I think that's right. And he kind of said that he felt the pecking order on the planet was trees animals humans because trees give out unconditional love they give out oxygen for the rest of us to be able to breathe they don't talk about it they don't bitch about it 
They just do that. And the second being animals who live in the cycle of life, they understand how the whole process works. We don't always know it because we can't really talk to them. And then the third being humans are constantly trying to overtake the first two, Um, which makes, you know, when you really look at that, it's like the arrogance of who Mm -hmm. we are. When indigenous tribes or, um, you know, tribal cultures have really understood how to honor the entire cycle of life, um, life and death, um, what the the role the animals play. I remember uh, seeing things where if 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 an animal was killed in order to feed people, they would pray over it. They would be in gratitude for it, you know. And I just think you know that that was a part of the book I wanted to express because even with all of our domesticated animals of dogs and cats, I don't believe I'm my dog's owner. I am my dog's guardian. I am I am her friend. She's part of my family. You know, she's got she's 15. Hmm. Um, and when somebody just dumps a dog in a shelter, I'm telling you, that's when I lose my shit. That's hmm. when I'm like, now of course there are always, you know, circumstances and I don't always know what's going on. But I've I've done work in the shelters and I've talked to people that have and and I've heard people say, dog's too old now. Um, now we want a puppy and just drop off the old dog. Yep. Well, I'm an old dog, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's You're like, going to dump me off next? Yeah. What the hell? So right. I, I, I just kind of looked at it that, um, and, you know, I have to bring this up because this was taught to me early on that, and, and I might be off on some of the history, but in, during during tribal times, gay people, were considered shamans, healers, because they were the go-between men, you know, straight men and their girlfriends or wives. So they would counsel men and women to help be together. So gay people were honored until organized religion came into play. Hmm. And and you had to, they had to create, because they were worried about border wars, so, and I heard this from someone who was a historian on gay culture, whatever, that was saying that the reason why they had to keep populating in order to fight off other countries, so they made it a bad thing to be gay, and they used God as right. a way to keep, you know, to say, no, you're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. First off, yeah, I mean, come on, hell is just the state of consciousness, right. but um, it it. So anyway, in the book, I, I was trying to tap into as much as possible. I mean, I'm a tree hugger. I'll go uh-huh. out and hug trees. And if, uh-huh. if anyone's listening and you go out and hug a tree, just stop for a minute. And I guarantee you're going to feel some energy coming from that tree. Guarantee it. Because I've had this happen to me during different situations um, growing up. That's amazing. So what's next? You got another book. I know you alluded to that, that you're working on. Yeah, I'm doing another book. Um, I wrote a I wrote a feature film over COVID. Also, it was based on a on a stage production that I that ran here in LA for a long time, and it, then it went to Austin, Texas, and played the Austin Playhouse. It was originally called Paradise, a bluegrass musical. Now it's called Paradise, a town of sinners and saints, and um, twenty one original songs. Um, and it's um, we we got distribution through Artist View Entertainment. Um, they're they're going to be promoting it at Cannes in nice. May. So, 
you know, my agent is pitching other other scripts around town. And when you write a script, this it's not three rewrites, it's 25 rewrites. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. And notes and everybody. So, you know, it does help you to become um, more patient, more pa- resilient. Yeah, patient, resilient and letting things roll off your back. And truly, so, truly having the attitude, uh, fuck it, right? You know, you have to have a fuck it attitude at times, right. and and really be able to pick your battles, right? Know know what you'll die on the hill for, mm-hmm. you know, and what is like, okay, no big deal. So right. that's going to be coming out in twenty twenty three. I have, I feel the film is blessed. We made it over COVID. I had thirty six on the crew, eight actors, a bunch of other people, and nobody got COVID. Wow. And then two weeks later. Um, where they went in to lay down all the music, the guy who the music and the guy who ran the place, his entire family got COVID. My lead actor got COVID. I mean, it was crazy. Wow. So That's I really crazy. feel blessed and that it'll yeah. be available to see. Um, and then the second book um, is called Uncle Bill Can't Drink Anymore. Thank God. Uh-huh. And, you know, and all the stories are going to be humorous and heartfelt like the last book. Um, right. So I'm going to probably do four books under the Uncle Bill series. Very cool. And um, I am going to do a corporate book, too, because I did that for a long time. And it's going to be about uh, how to interview. Hmm. So I'm going to throw that into the mix. Um, and and then whatever else comes my way. I mean. Like I said, my agent's pitching things around town. I've got a series I really want to sell. There will be um, a lead gay character in it. Um, I'm, I've also got another one that is about my journey of getting sober and about being gay. And that's called Seven Therapists and Me. So uh, <laughs> it's a limited series. <laughs> and I'm awesome, praying. Bill. I think it'll be so much fun. Yeah. Um, but it all comes down to... You finding yourself, seeing yourself, owning and loving yourself and seeing that your passion is more important than the almighty dollar, so to speak. You know, yes, we need money to live and all that. I get that. But, uh, you know, there's something about the doors open when you just say, okay, I'm going to go live my passion and purpose. And it may not happen immediately. You might have to, like, do another day job, so to speak, to get the ball rolling. But when it becomes the focus... It's amazing. I mean, I don't I don't know how this book would have ever come out of me if I had said, okay, but I don't have time. And now I am kind of in that space where I don't have time to do the book proposal, but it's like, okay, well, bitch, you, you need to be, if you really want to do this and go that route, you need to get it done or do the other thing. Like, here's the thing that's so beautiful is there's so many ways to get things done in this world today. You don't have yes. to have a traditional publisher. You can have a hybrid. You can you can have traditional or you can do it yourself. Or if you're struggling, like, I don't have time to write a book proposal. Guess what? There's people who will write the book proposal for you. Yes, you will need to pay them to do that. But these are those things like I've been going through my own mind. Like, well, what if I don't write the book proposal? What if I just say, okay, here it is. Take it and yep. run with it. You know, yeah, it, no. there's these things that we hold ourselves back from. And again, I'm going to come back to our gay brothers. Um we tend to hold ourselves back because that's how we've been preconditioned. We're not supposed to be this, or we're not supposed to be that. And no matter how old you get, I'm going to always say this to every LGBTQ person, but specifically gay men listening to this podcast. There will always be that little bitty bitty. Sometimes it's big, but I'm going to say little bitty pebble in your shoe about your coming out 
and being in the closet that's going to hold you back in certain places. And the minute you can connect that that's the energy that's there, you can break through. But if you let that, if you let that rule your life, it will always rule your life. And I'm not saying it does. I mean, hell, I, it's been going on for me to some degree with this book. Like I'm holding myself back at times. Well, it's because I'm afraid somebody's not going to like it. Then I put it out to 10 people. Not all of them were friends. And they're like, this book needs to go. This one needs to go up. It needs to get published. It needs to get out. You know, so these interesting things that if we hold ourselves back, we are truly not bringing ourselves and as ourselves as a gift to the world. So um, I love it. It, it, it. There's there's two things I want to share if I can. Yeah, yeah. One is I hate it when I hear people say, but I don't know how to do that. I'm sorry. Google, 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 YouTube yes. videos. Or or find a millennial or Gen Jesus. Z and go, how do I do this? They'll gladly show you how to do it. Oh you may have God, to pay yeah. them, but they'll show you how to get the shit done. Yeah. You know, it, it's just it, it's I've had more people. Well, how did you learn how to do that? Do you have Google? Right. You know, it's like. This so we have so much stuff that we can we can reach out to now. My God, it's so. I mean, I fix my toilet with a YouTube video. You know, exactly. I mean, there's so many things. And the other thing, and I love this, and I learned this early on too. When you walk through fear, mm. it's remembering there's more self love on the other side. Yes. So every time you walk through a fear you create more self-love in your life because you overcame that fear. So when I have to face a fear of anything that I don't know about, I have to remind myself, oh, wait a minute, there's more self-love on the other side of that. So if I choose to walk through that, because we all know, you know, fear, false evidence appearing right, real, of course. Right. you know, or face everything and recover, right. you know, you can put a million things to that acronym. But, but that was the one thing it was, there's more self-love on the other side of that fear. And and for every author I know, every writer, every producer, director, actor, my God, um, talk to an actor. You want to talk yes. about walking through fear and all the ones who throw up before they go on stage. Exactly. Was it Carol, Carol Channing used to yep. throw up before yep. every performance. Yep. You know, and who didn't love Carol? But um, boy, I am an older gay man over 40. <laughs> well, we are over 40, so we know those names. I, I would say something like that to some other young men. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I had someone yeah. ask me who Paul McCartney was the other day. Oh, my <laughs> I <was> God. Like, <laughs> I just Which isn't surprising at this point, but it is kind of surprising. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, it's interesting you said that because I was like, huh. I wonder when was the last time the Beatles even crossed my mind, you know? But yes. then, you know, it's like I, I remember those sort of so anyway, well, Bill, it's this has been a complete funny. pleasure to talk to you and share and hear you just inspire people to go be who you're really meant to be in the world. And it doesn't matter. Yes. Age does not matter. I just, <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of like, whatever, go figure it out, you know, and and let it guide you and let it be what you're meant to be, whether it's finding a guy, whether it's starting your passion, whether it's diving into a career like, I don't know if this is going to work. Well, if it doesn't, then you'll dive into something else, you know, I'm, and so I'm glad you gave that inspiration, loved the, the book. I can't wait to hear what else happens for you, buddy. And thank you so much for being part of my world and sharing yourself so wonderfully today with 
all those, you know, gay guys over 40 who believe they can't have real talks about this stuff because I just feel like we need to have more talks just like this. So totally agree. Thank you so much. I loved being on the show. Great. And guys, there'll be another episode coming up in just another week. So stay tuned. And don't forget every the third Monday of every month, we do our gay men, gay talk chats for 40 plus. You can go to my website, rickclemens.com and sign up right there and join the conversation. So thanks again, everybody, and have a great week. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where the conversations continue.